Warriors, bold, brave, and beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us on Women to Warriors podcast, where we at Women to Warriors are all about energizing, encouraging, equipping, and empowering you, woman warrior, for your eternal purpose. And you're joining us for a tribe study. This is exclusive for our tribe that we are studying faith and fire. You are joining me for number week five, inviting the fire. All right, ladies, warriors, get ready. Here you go. My favorite worship leaders is Tasha Cobbs Leonard. Man, that girl can sing. But what I really love about her is not just her powerhouse vocals, it's her ability to lead people into the presence of God. I appreciate her ministry so much and I value her integrity. One of her older songs that I have listened to for years and years is called Fill Me Up. There's this one portion of it that many, many years ago imprinted itself upon my heart and it's become just a regular rotation in my prayer life, my conversations between me and God. That line in the song says, Lord, if you'll provide the fire, I'll provide the sacrifice. In other words, Lord, I'll do my part, but I don't want to step into the margin that belongs solely to you. God, I'll provide a sacrifice to the best of my abilities, but I'm asking you for the fire. It's less of a declaration and it's more a request. It's a prayer calling out to God, asking for his favor, for his blessing, for his empowerment in every area of life. So sometimes I find myself humming that little lyric right before I'm writing a Bible study like this one, right before I step in front of a camera like the one I'm in front of right now, right before I minister to 10 women who are gathered around coffee or whether it's 10,000 who are filling up an arena, I'm just humming, Lord, I'll provide the sacrifice, but I sure do need your fire. But you know what? I'm not just humming it when I'm in ministry. I'm making that request of God when I'm trying to figure out the best way to be a wife to my husband, to be a mother to my three sons. No matter what I'm doing in my life, I can provide a sacrifice, but I need the fire of God. And you know what? You do too. Sister, welcome to Mount Carmel. Here, we're going to watch Elijah provide a sacrifice, but then we're going to see the one true mighty God rain down fire. standing on the pinnacle of Mount Carmel along with Elijah. You've already been there with him for about a week now in our Bible study, but here we are at this climactic moment when he is daring the adversaries of Yahweh to persuade their impotent idol to rain down fire from heaven. He sets out the rules right at the onset of this competition. He implores each side to prepare a sacrifice, but then he says, you must not light your own fire. You leave that part to God. And the one who answers by fire, he alone is God. There it is, the holy sacred element that separates the one true God from all other so-called gods, the fire. The fire that falls 
from heaven. All right, I want to ask you to give me a moment to just talk to you. I want to tell you, because I can, I can see you, I can picture you right now. You've got your pen in your hand. You've probably got a notebook open or you have the, the notes app on your phone ready so that you can plug in details and insights. We'll get to that. But for just a moment, I want to ask you to put your pen down, put your notebook down, and just hear me for a moment. One of the major distinctions that separates a man-made earthly fire from the kind that comes from God is this. One rises up, the other one falls down. One is manufactured by human hands and the other one is sent and initiated supernaturally. Supernatural fire can only be originated supernaturally and it alone is what turns the things that we present to God into an offering of our whole lives so that they can just be more than pure show, but so that they can actually be a sacrifice that is worthy and acceptable and pleasing to him. And it is what actually will make our lives a living, breathing, walking billboard of the glory of God to everyone that is in our sphere of influence. Seeing this holy, God-given fire on our lives is what will compel others to get off of the fence line of indifference and to serve him wholeheartedly. In other words, it doesn't matter what we say, it doesn't matter what we do, it doesn't matter what programs we implement, it doesn't matter how much knowledge we have, it doesn't matter how flashy or savvy we might be. We could receive the applause of people, but without the fire of heaven, there is no way that people's hearts can be changed through our lives. But as the fire of God falls freshly upon us, gracing us with his favor, the empowerment of his spirit, the fruit of God's spirit being seen in our lives, the gifting of God's spirit that is given to us to edify the body of Christ as our lives are yielded to him, they will be purpose-filled, glorifying to his name, and they will bear eternal fruit. It is the fire of God's own spirit that inspires, that emboldens us, that sanctifies us, that stirs in us a holy, holy fervor in the soul of all of those who have placed faith in Jesus Christ first at the moment of salvation, but then ongoingly and increasingly and progressively as we are yielded to him, we are filled up by the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of us. And this is the element that makes us a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. It is the fire that falls from heaven. We need the fire of God's spirit and God's presence and God's approval upon our lives more now than ever before. It is the thing that makes us distinct and different and set apart. One of my uh, favorite churches, the world over, is a church called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. It's in Brooklyn, New York. Its pastor, Mr. Jim Cimbala, is an incredible faith-filled man who has led so many people not only into relationship with Jesus Christ, but because they're situated right in the heart of Brooklyn, where there are so many people from different walks of life, different backgrounds who have never stepped foot in a church before, who are living all kinds of lifestyles and who have been um, in all sorts of different and difficult scenarios. People from diverse backgrounds too. Racially, it's an incredibly beautiful mix that is inside of the, the, the church there of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. I love visiting there. 
and the stories that come out of their congregation of people that are miraculously meeting with the favor of God, folks who are completely antagonistic to the things of God, whose ears are closed and whose hearts are callous towards him. Miracle stories of their hearts being softened, of their addictions, them being freed from their addictions and leaving behind certain lifestyles to walk in holiness in honor to God. Just incredible, incredible things happening through the Brooklyn Tabernacle. I respect and love them so much. But one of the things that Pastor Simula very frequently says is that the power and the strength of his church is not in the programs and it is not in the, the screens and it's not in the microphones and it's not in the lights and it's not in the thousands and thousands of people that come on a Sunday. It's not in the Grammy Awards that their, their award-winning choir has won through the decades for the songs that they have written and the songs that the Brooklyn Tabernacle has sung. He, said, he says very clearly that it's not about any of that. He says the power and strength of our church is that on Tuesday evenings we have a prayer meeting. And he says, Tuesday evenings is the fullest that this sanctuary ever is. As a line of people wrap around the city block so that they can come into the sanctuary and be a part of not a program and not another conference and not another event. There's a place for all of those. But he said, these people, they come just to be in the presence of God, just to worship God in spirit and in truth, and just to bend their knees before him and call out to him in prayer because they know that what will set them apart is not a program and it is not a performance and it's not even just a weekly service what will set them apart is that they have worshiped God in spirit and in truth and that they have surrendered their lives to him and that they are asking him for the fire of his favor upon their lives the fire the fire that falls down from heaven, this is what we all so desperately need. We need it in our personal lives. We need it in our ministry lives. We need it in our family lives. We need it in our careers. We need it in every aspect of our life in order to be set apart under the purposes of God. Not performance, not impressing people. We need the fire of God and the evidence of his favor and his anointing. Let me be clear. That when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. You already have his favor. You already are anointed. Vocational ministry, having a microphone in your hand, writing books, having a whole lot of followers on Facebook or Instagram, that has nothing to do with the favor of God marking your life. If you are a believer, you have the favor of God and you are anointed. God's Spirit lives on the inside of you. But as we choose, and every Christian doesn't choose this, as you choose to yield to him more and more in every single day and every single experience of your life, as you walk with him, as you are counseled by the word of God, as you align your life in righteousness to the convictions of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, then you are filled by the spirit of God. And as you're filled by the spirit of God, then there is evidence on the outside of you that God's spirit lives in you. And I don't know about you, but I don't just want fire in me. I want his fire on me. I don't just want the Holy Spirit of God in me. I'm grateful for his presence in me. I'm grateful for his presence in you. That our God is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere with me on this side of the screen, with you on that side of the screen. I want and I'm so grateful for God's presence with us. But I want God's presence on us evidence that we are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit of God.
So when Elijah says to those who are gathered on Mount Carmel, he says, how long are you going to limp between two opinions? If the Lord's God, follow him. If Baal is God, well, then you follow him. And he sets up the rules for the contest. He says, you prepare your sacrifice, but don't put fire under it. I'm going to prepare my sacrifice, but I'm not going to put fire under it. He says, we're going to call on the name of our God and the God who ignites fire. That will be the proof that he indeed is God. This is what separates those who are those of us who are following the one true God from those who are following all other so-called gods, lowercase g, on the face of the earth. This is what should separate our lives. We should be marked by um, a characteristic that they can't quite put their finger on. It's an intangible quality, but there's just something unique about us. It is called the fire of God. And throughout the Old Testament, fire was a sign of God's presence. It was a sign of God's nearness. It was a sign of his glory and his anointing resting upon a person or a specific group of people for a specific task during a specific season to accomplish a specific purpose. His fire was sent to purify, to lead, to refine, and it does the same for us, igniting in us a passion that can't be put out even when life is hard and even when we're having to stand alone. It signifies to others that we are marked by the presence of God. And before we jump into this portion of scripture, and I, and I invite you to get that pen back in your hand, I just want to point out to you that many of those who would have been standing on Mount Carmel in this moment with Elijah, many of them would have been around less than a century earlier in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 when Solomon finishes constructing uh, the newly built extravagant spectacular temple unto the Lord and he prays and consecrates it to the Lord. And in 2 Chronicles chapter uh, 7, the fire of God falls after he finished praying. And its power consumes the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And when the glory of the Lord fills the temple, his presence is so palatable in that place that even the priests, those in vocational ministry, even they couldn't do what they were assigned to do. They all had to get on their faces in the presence of God because God's fire had fallen. His presence was there and in his presence, no human flesh could stand. And this is how you know when God's fire is upon something. It will not be a structure or a building or a program that elicits that kind of response. We could have all sorts of programs and all sorts of uh, performances and they might receive applause, but the only thing that will make the people around us get down on their knees and want to turn their lives over to God is if we have the proof of his presence on us the fire of God's spirit emanating through us. Elijah says this is what separates us, is that God ignites the fire. And so here's my warning for you. My warning for you and my warning for me and us is this. Don't start your own fire. Prepare a worthy sacrifice, yes. Prepare your life, present your whole life, a living sacrifice, holy to the Lord, your time, your talents, your treasures, present them in a way worthy to the Lord, but resist the urge to start your own fire. And this task for us 
to follow as we look at Elijah's example by intentionally and daily preparing and presenting a sacrifice unto the Lord. What we see from him is that he resisted the urge to do what we, hu we humans have a hard time resisting the urge doing. He re resisted the urge. He refused to manufacture his own fire. Fellow believer, sister in Christ, do your part, but then let the Father do his. Don't fabricate your own flame, conjuring up a man-made veneer of spiritual victory through self-motivation or self-promotion or emotionalism. In our achievement-oriented culture of perfectly lit selfies and staged personas, the veneer of religion and pseudo-sacred activity can spew smoke signals that make it appear that our lives are rooted in authentic holy flames. But the question for all of us is this, did we light that fire? Or did we wait in the presence of God until he sent his fire? Because hear me clearly, time and eternity will tell the difference. If it was not authentic, if our fire is not by might and not by power, but only by the spirit of God, it will eventually flicker and it will fail. If Elijah had started this fire, this fire that's about to fall on Mount Carmel that we're going to see fall with him this week in our study of scripture. If Elijah had started that fire himself, the prophets of Baal would have called him on his bluff. And if we start our own fire, then those who are skeptical of our faith, they're going to call us on our bluff too. The fire needed on the Mount Carmel's of our life, listen, it belongs to God. It is his alone to give. Elijah knew what his responsibility was. It was to be diligent, to prepare something worthy of God receiving it. And for the fire, uh, worthy of the fire, to facilitate what it was that God would send. So as I look at Elijah's example in the scripture, it occurs to me that his actions and activities, that which he did do to prepare something worthy of facilitating the fire that God was going to send. As I look at his example, I realize that I tend to, that we tend to discount and devalue the significance of things that actually garner the fire of God's presence in our life. And since we don't think they're important, sometimes we don't take them seriously. We prioritize other things. We are busy doing so many other things, except these things that we see Elijah did in this portion of scripture that actually invited the favor of God and the fire of God upon this experience that he has here in Mount Carmel. So for the next few moments, and to sort of launch you into this fifth week of your Bible study. I want to just encourage you around some simple principles for you and for me as we live the kind of lives and present ourselves to our God, a living and worthy sacrifice so that our lives become magnets that call down the presence and the favor and the fire of God upon our lives. So now, grab that pen, grab that pad of paper or that phone you were taking notes in, and turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. Again, you've already been there, walking with Elijah up the side of Mount Carmel, and then the 450 prophets of Baal, and those others who were also antagonistic to the things of, of Yahweh. And then also you're standing there with hundreds, possibly thousands, I believe, of the Israelites who were being called to make firm their allegiance to the one true God. And after the Baal worshipers had already called on their God to no avail, Elijah steps forward in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30, 
And this is what it says he does. Elijah says to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and this is what he did. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Then Elijah, verse 31, takes 12 stones according to the number of the sons of Jacob. Verse 32 says, with those stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And then it says, he made a trench around the altar that was large enough to hold two measures of seed. He arranges the wood, cuts the ox in pieces, lays it on the wood. And then he says, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Then he didn't stop there. He did it a second time. They did it. And then he said to them, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. By the time you get to verse 35, the water is flowing around the altar and it has also filled the trench. And then verse 36 said, then it came about at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near. In these portions of scripture, we get our first indicator as to the kind of life, the kind of offering that actually elicits and invites the favor of God. If nothing else, what Elijah was not was haphazard. He was not a hit or miss with this sacrifice that he was preparing for God. There was nothing casual about what he was he did here. He was meticulous and he was detailed. He was intentional. I'm going to encourage you to be intentional. Do you realize that we plan for so many other aspects of our life except this area in our relationship with God? We plan for our future financial security. Maybe we have a financial advisor so that we can plan for retirement. We plan for our health. We have a doctor that maybe you go for a yearly checkup and you meet with her or you meet with him and you discuss where you are on your vitamin intake and how your levels are when they draw your blood and you're discussing to make sure that you are on the right track in terms of your health. You plan for your education. You plan, I plan for my kids' education. Jerry and I have been talking about our son's education in terms of college and graduate school and all that stuff, if that's what they choose to do. We've been talking about that literally since the day we found out that, that I was gonna have those babies. And so we've been planning for their education. I think about all the things that we are so thoughtful about, so intentional about. We are proactive in regard to making sure that those things are done well and to the best of our abilities. We plan all those things. And sometimes we are the least intentional about how our lives can be an honorable sacrifice to God. Look at Elijah here. The first thing he does is he repairs the altar of the Lord. There it was an altar on Mount Carmel for Yahweh that had already be, been there, but because it had been so ignored and neglected, and also because of the active desecration of those who were antagonistic and wanted it torn down so that they could worship Baal, he goes and he finds those scraps and he rebuilds what the culture has torn down. Man, we could spend, if listen, if we had time, I would spend a whole session just talking about that right there. That our responsibility as believers in the one true God is to find his truths that have been torn down in the eyes and in the minds of our culture and proactively, intentionally be the ones that repair the truths of our God. They are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But in so many people's views, they have been torn down. They've been desecrated. They've been dismantled. And it can be our responsibility as the people of God to remind people that God's standards have not changed. Elijah 
methodically, diligently repairs the altar of the Lord. Then it says, did you notice that he grabbed 12 stones? Not 13 and not 10, not 8, not 24. He grabs 12 because he knows 12 of them are going to be symbolic of the covenant that Yahweh made with the 12 tribes of Israel and with every stone that he would have gathered. And when he had 12 at his disposals, those who stood around of the people of God would have noticed that they were there were 12. And in the gathering of the 12, there would have been conviction that washed over them as they remembered all that their God had done to make them a nation to begin with. So not only did he repair the altar that the world, the culture had torn down, not only did he recall the promises of God in the covenant that had been given, but he renounced the idolatry by using an ox, which was the symbol of Baal worship. It represented to this culture in this time, the height of success and holiness. He sacrificed the thing that symbolized that to the culture and he cut it up and he set it on the altar as the sacrifice. He wanted the image of God's presence and God's power when the fire fell from heaven to consume the premier idol of the culture. So he renounced idolatry and then he reinforced his trust in God by creating capacity and margin for God's power to be even more fully on display. He poured water all over everything and he said, watch God's fire take care of this. He was thoughtful, he was intentional, he was deliberate. I wanna ask you as you think about, as I think about how we give our time, our talents, our treasures, I wanna ask you if you've been giving half-heartedly, ask the Holy Spirit this week if you've been giving, if I've been giving a second-rate leftover offering to the Lord, are we being thoughtful and intentional? as we want him to be with the blessings that he gives back to us. Man, we want the Lord to be thoughtful and intentional in what he gives to us. Let's be thoughtful and intentional with what we present to him. So that instead of giving our wealth in a way that is just haphazard, instead we give 10%, we give our tithes, and we give our offerings in a way that is thoughtful, that builds God's kingdom, that strengthens the storehouse, instead of tossing out a tip in hopes that it appease, appeases God and soothes our guilty conscience. Instead of prioritizing him sometimes with our time, well, often, if you're anything like me, you'll wait till the end of the day. And so then you give them the leftovers that you have in strength and in energy. Instead of prioritizing him in our talents and our gifts and being thoughtful about the best way that we can strategically edify the body of Christ in which we've been planted and glorify God, sometimes we reserve the best of our efforts and our skills and our attitudes for every place except the house of God except amongst the people of God. We have to have a heart that desires to be intentional, just like Elijah shows us, just like Elijah demonstrates to us so that we present an offering upon which the fire of God can fall. Obviously in the Old Testament, the objects of their sacrifice were different. What they would present were different, but now we still give ourselves a living offering, living sacrifice as unto the Lord. So think of your time, your talents, your gifts, your treasures in that way, and then be intentional. An extravagant gift may impress people, but it's an intentional, heartfelt gift that impresses God. Be intentional. But not only was Elijah intentional, it says in verse 
36, that at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet stepped forward. I love this so much because the picture is that he has in some way melded seamlessly in with the background until now. Everyone has been watching the prophets of Baal. Everyone has been watching those who have gathered um, work feverishly and over time to appease the faith, to, to appease their God and to garner the favor of their God to no avail. And Elijah has been a part of the crowd sort of mocking and taunting them in all of their feverish activity. But when the time comes for him to present his intentional sacrifice, he doesn't just continue to stay comfortably in with the people around him. He steps forward out and away from the crowd. I'm going to encourage you not only to be intentional, but to be bold, to live the kind of life that steps forward away from the crowd. The woman with the issue of blood, she knew the power of stepping forward. Peter, as he looked at the winds and the waves bashing on the boat, knew the power of stepping forward, of being the one that steps out of the boat. Daniel, pressured by a pagan king and a pagan regime to refuse to meld in with the crowd and to fit seamlessly in with those around him, Daniel knew the power of being the one who would step forward. Do you remember Joshua and Caleb? They knew about the power of stepping forward when surrounded by naysayers who refused to believe the promises of God, settling instead into fear and insecurity about the giants that they had just seen in the land. Well, Joshua and Caleb didn't care what the other 10 said. They stepped forward. They were bold and courageous. Esther, she knew the power of stepping forward. She could have easily shrunk into the background, but she chose instead to be God's instrument of justice. She stepped forward. And when I think about it, the people that I admire in scripture, and even the folks whose faith I admire right now in modern times, these are people who have the fire of God resting on their life. And one of the reasons it's noticeable, one of the reasons their kingdom impact and their harvest is generational in nature is because they didn't blend in. At some point or another, they had to choose by the empowerment of God's spirit on the inside of them to step out and away from the crowd. And sometimes that crowd is the church crowd. Sometimes that crowd is a group of Christians. They love the Lord. They worship him in spirit and in truth. But at some point, they might not be brave enough to take this next step. And oftentimes, it's not until you take the step. It's not until you're the one who's not willing to just go along with the nominal flow anymore. You're not willing to just fit seamlessly into this comfortable package of Bible study or of church attendance. All of those things are amazing, but it's not enough for you. You want the next stage, the next step. You want to go where the spirit of God is compelling you to go. I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to take a boldness. It's going to require particularly now in our post-Christian culture where more and more our entire society is celebrating the things that are out of alignment with the truth of God, where you are actually disdained, where you're actually mocked and ridiculed, where you are teased high school student, college student for being the one that stands for righteousness and the truth of God, not a watered down version of it, but as God says it and as he's revealed his character in the word of God, when you're the one that chooses not to be politically correct. You need to know that in that choice to step forward, to be bold, that oftentimes that's where the fire of God will meet you. 
So I want to encourage you to know that God is looking, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, he is looking for some folks to show his strong support to. I love that verse so much. It says, the eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro the entire earth, trying to find somebody who he can fully support, who he can put the full thrust of his weight behind, his favor toward. But this will be someone whose heart is wholly his. And I got to tell you, everybody's heart ain't wholly his. In fact, that's one of the questions that I'm hoping that the course of particularly these two weeks of study, last week and this upcoming week, that's part of what I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would convict and challenge in you as he has in me as I've been studying. Is my heart wholly his? Is my heart wholly his to the point that I'm willing to be brave enough? to be the only one, if I have to, that's willing to step forward out and away from the crowd in order to honor God with my whole life. University student, you're gonna have to do it. Mother of small children, as you rear your kids the way that you and your spouse have chosen to, you're gonna have to do it. Single mother, you're gonna have to do it. Wife, you're gonna have to do it. Single woman, in a culture that is celebrating lifestyles that aren't necessarily in alignment with the truth of God, you're gonna have to do it. Business owner, as you decide the kind of way you're gonna run your business, you're gonna have to do it. Neighbor, as you choose the way to respond to the neighbors that live across the street from you or the ones that are different than you, that you rub shoulders with day in, day out, you're going to have to choose whether or not you will not only be intentional, but whether or not you will be brave and bold. And then finally, it says that Elijah, after he stepped forward, would you please notice that he didn't step forward and call a meeting. He didn't step forward and plan a program. He did not step forward and, you know, poll for popular opinion. He stepped forward and he prayed. I want to encourage you not only to be intentional and not only to be bold, but I've got to encourage you to be prayerful. There is so much power in a simple prayer. If my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and if they'll just pray. Did you know that prayer is the privilege that we've been given as sons and daughters of the Most High God? It's literally a key that unlocks all the resources of heaven so that they can be unleashed onto the landscape of our lives here on planet Earth. Prayer doesn't manipulate God. Prayer just unlocks all the stuff he planned to do for us anyway. Why wouldn't we use a key like that? So when Elijah steps forward, the very first thing he does is utilize the key. He rests in this privilege that he has to call out to his God. And before I read this prayer, I want to remind you that this prayer is against the backdrop of the feverish, crazed, morning till night, exhausting, manic actions of the idol worshipers that had just taken place. They had all seen these hundreds of people calling out to God, destroying their own bodies to do it, to get their God, little g, their idol to try to respond. And it's devastating because after all they did feverishly and frantically with sweat pouring down, trying to get the favor of their God, it's so sad to hear that there was no voice for those people. There was no response. No one answered. And get this, the scriptures say, nobody was even paying attention. 
And against the backdrop of all of that, gosh, it almost brings tears to my eyes. Just let the simplicity and the ease and the uncomplicated effortlessness of Elijah's prayer wash over you. Never underestimate the power of a simple prayer. He says, O oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today, would you let it be known that you are the God in Israel and that I'm your servant and that I've done all of these things at your word. Verse 37, answer me, O oh God. Answer me so that this people may know that you are who you say you are and that you can turn their hearts back to you again. This simple prayer was prayed. And after Elijah uttered that final word, says that the sky opened up in verse 38 and God rained down fire. Never underestimate the power of a simple prayer. I want to pray for us, even now. And I want to ask the Lord to forgive us for where we have manufactured our own fire. I want to ask the Lord to open up our eyes to see the places where we've done it and we don't even know it. We've gotten so used to the veneer of actually having a real fiery relationship with God. Oh my goodness, I've, it's not just for you. I've prayed this so much in my own life. Lord, forgive me where I've started to rest in this veneer of actually having a thing going on with you when really I'm just striking the own match of my own activity and lighting a fire that I know is going to go out sooner or later. Lord, I need you to ignite a real fire by your spirit on the inside of me. I want to pray that for you, that we will be intentional, that we'll be bold, and that we'll be prayerful, and our lives will be an offering worth receiving and facilitating the fire of heaven. Lord, I pray that in these next days that we will spend together exploring Elijah's example, I pray, Father, that your spirit will rise up on the inside of us, convicting and challenging, encouraging, Father bringing comfort where needed. And Father, I am asking that you will do whatever you need to do to open up our eyes to see the places where we are walking and living in a way that is not completely honoring to you. Forgive us, Father, where we've fallen into the trap of, of performing, Father, of programs, Lord, of doing things that look like we actually have a relationship that is fiery and fervent and is infused with your spirit. Forgive us for pretending, Father, but starting this week, will you help us to return back to you authentically and genuinely? Oh, Lord, we want the fire. Would you help us to present our lives a living and holy sacrifice that is worthy to you? And then, Father, I pray that you would send the fire. In Jesus' name. Thank you.